Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. So my name is Damian Thompson. I'm one of the pastors and staff here. And I get the blessing of getting to kick off our new Christmas series, which is entitled, as you see there, Gifts for a King. And we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus, but in specific, we will be focusing on the gifts that were brought to Jesus after he was born. Uh, But before we launch into those gifts, I thought it would be good for us to just kind of take a moment and just get a little background on this moment in history uh, of humankind that's pretty, pretty significant. If you are here this morning and you'd like to have a Bible because you'd like to follow along with us today, if you could just raise your hand, Um, ushers will put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, Okay, please consider the Bible that you are given a gift because we'd much rather you have the word of God than not. But for our seasoned veterans here, if you've got your Bible or you got your Bible app open, you you can go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter two. Uh, We're going to be in and out of Old Testament, and New Testament a little bit today. It's going to be most of it's going to be on the screens, but uh, I like it when we can read God's word together. All right. This background. Okay, so as we all know, there are four gospels that give an account of the life of Jesus, but only two gospels actually include the birth of Jesus, and that's Matthew and that's Luke. Now, Matthew writes from the perspective of a Jewish writer writing for Jewish readers. Luke, on the other hand, is a Gentile, okay? He's not Jewish. He's a doctor by trade, and he writes from the perspective of basically everybody else, who would be reading. Now, what's interesting about Luke, though, is that Luke's account is one of the more popular ones um, because we reference so many of our Christmas traditions um, in there. But it's probably most notable, if I'm going to be honest, for being quoted as none other than the Christmas speech that Linus gave in a Charlie Brown Christmas. Do 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 you remember this? I don't know if you... Remember this moment? Do we have that? Okay. So, see, now let's get some perspective here because we're talking about blanket-carrying, thumb-sucking Linus. Drops his blanket, steps forward, a spotlight hits him, and he hits into this moment of just beautiful presentation out of the book of Luke. You know, and we all sit there and go, oh. So here's the thing. If you haven't watched the Charlie Brown Christmas in a while, when it comes on, Go ahead and watch it so you can see Linus do his thing. All right, there we go. But Matthew is the only one whose account includes the wise men, okay? So that's why we're going to be hanging out with Matthew for a while here. Now, before we jump into this, because we're going to read through the story, um, I thought it would be good for us to just get a little bit of um, a broader understanding of these wise men, okay? The first one is that the the wise men come from the east. And most of you, if you've sung songs, you go, yeah, we know he comes from the east. But you have to understand, the east means that that was beyond the eastern border of the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, there's those who believe that that refers to they might have come from Persia. They might have come from Babylonia. They might have come from India. um, You know, because they like to think, you know, one guy from each country. But, you know, there's something about that number three. And I think this is also good for us to know, and it's this. We actually have no idea how many wise men actually showed up, okay? 
we associate three because there were three gifts. And they think one gift per guy. But there's a lot of scholars out there who believe that actually there was an entourage that came that had wise men and, and astrologers. Because remember, there's a star that has to be found and followed. And then there's some who actually think that there might have been a military escort. And you think, whoa, that, that's a little over the top. Well, they're traveling with some expensive gifts. Gifts for a king. All right, so... With that in play, let's just take a look. We're not going to have it up on the screen. We're just going to read through the story starting in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And Matthew writes this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. All right, so our first question that we're going to ask today is this. Why did these wise men offer these gifts to Jesus? I think maybe even a better question would be, why would these men travel all this way to give gifts to a baby? Now, I remember when our first child was, was on his way, and we were so blessed because the North Shore family here, they, they put together this baby shower, the choir community. They, they put it, people came from the church. We felt so blessed. But then, unexpectedly, expectedly, people that I worked with said, hey, we want to do a shower for you and Alica. And we were kind of dumbfounded because it was like, well, you, you really don't know us that well. We're, we're getting to know you. And they said, we don't care. We, we just want to bless you guys. And they did. They threw a shower for us. And it was just, we just felt so, so blessed. But these were at least with people that I worked with and I called friends and then there was people here that were part of our church, part of our, our church family, our brothers and sisters. So how interesting is it that these men who come from the east, now if you want some proximity here, depending upon what their, court, their, uh, their uh, country of origin was, approximately 400 to 700 miles is what they covered to get to Bethlehem to come see this baby who they didn't know 
And they didn't know mom and daddy, but they did know who that baby was. All right. So these gifts were not random, but foretold. They were prophesied. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful because they came to, to, fulfill, uh, to fulfill this prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 60, the, 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 the prophet there writes this, starting in verse 1. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. And then here it is, church, in verse 6. It says, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Not random gifts, foretold gifts, prophesied gifts. Second reason why these men came to offer these gifts to Jesus is that they came to worship. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, we had just read this in verse 2. They come into the court of Herod, and, and this, is how, this is how they lead. They lead with, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. So see, this wasn't a got caught up in the moment thing. They followed that star with the express purpose of expressing their worship through gifts. And these gifts weren't to celebrate a baby being born, but to acknowledge that the king has come. That the king has come. And not just any king, but the king of the Jews. Now, this is where things get a little uncomfortable. Because when they say they've come to worship the king of the Jews, they are standing in the presence of the man who currently holds that title. And you can just imagine how that made him feel. What do you mean the king of the Jews is born? No, the king of Jews is standing right here. But you can see that there was nothing misunderstood about that. I mean, if you could just stop and think about it for a second here, because I can mess with my brother because I love him. If, if I were to announce to you guys that, hey, just want to let you guys know that yesterday the new lead pastor of North Shore Christian Church was born. 19 pounds, 2 ounces. Big boy. So if you'd like to come visit him, we're going to take a group over and we're going to go visit mom and the kids. And if you'd like to bring some gifts, let's go do that, shall we? Scott would be sitting there going, wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm the, wait, wait, you said the baby is now the new lead? Okay, or maybe he might say, okay, cool, I'm out. <laughs> I'm good, you know, wish the kid well, there we go. 
But here's another side note in this moment that's interesting. Isn't it ironic that the first ones to refer to Jesus as king are Gentiles and not Jews? And that, that was something that popped out to me. I didn't see that. I just thought I'd share that with you. All right. Okay. So these gifts and the type of gifts that they were, that they brought, were meant for royalty. So we're going to focus on the first gift that's mentioned, and that's gold. It's the most recognizable and familiar gift, but let's talk about why that is. Okay? Let's look at what gold signifies. All right? The Bible shows us that gold signifies, first of all, goodness. Goodness. See, David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 127, this might be familiar to some of you, he said, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. See, this is where, you know, gold reflects good and how for David to love God's commands more than gold was and still is for us today a good thing. It displays wealth. Now, I know that just surprises every single one of you here today because you never looked at gold as being wealth. Yeah, I'm just kidding right there. In Ezekiel chapter 28, the prophet there writes in verse 4, he says, by your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. And in Zechariah chapter 14, he writes, even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. So there's no surprise for us understanding that gold represents wealth. Even today, we are encouraged that when our economy isn't doing well, we should invest in what? Gold. They say, buy gold. Get it into your portfolio. Those of us who have a portfolio, I don't have one of those. I'd like to get one one day. But gold also signifies stability and longevity. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter, this first letter to, to the church in Corinth, he was trying to address a lot of things because there were a lot of issues going on. But he was trying to get them to understand something. And he wants us to understand it today as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 12, this is what he says to them. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. You see, Paul knew that when it came to things that would survive fire, the list of materials would fall into two distinct categories. Flammable and non-flammable. Okay, Pretty simple things right there. See, wood and hay and straw are good for fueling a fire. Surviving one? Uh, not so much. 
Guys, I have to share this with you. A couple months ago, my wife, Alika, and I, along with uh, Tim and Nancy Brewer, Nancy, our missions director, we got to go up north to a place called Camp Malibu. Um, it's run by Young Life. If you haven't been there, this place is just spectacular. It is gorgeous. Um, it's north and west of Vancouver, and it is out in the middle of nowhere, okay? So just to kind of give you some visuals, I just want to throw a couple pictures out to you. So th this first picture here is going to show my bride and Nancy. They, they're on a hike because basically out of the water that surrounds Malibu, it just, there's basically this rock just juts straight up. So there's no beaches that are there. And they have hiked up to this point right here. And you can see the water behind and where it is. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. But to just kind of give you a picture of where Malibu sits, this next one shows you the picture that they took. Because I want to give them credit. Because they're the ones that hiked up there to, took, to take the picture. That's from the top down. And Malibu is not a small place. Okay? It's gorgeous. But look where it is sitting. You wouldn't use, there's no such thing as the Malibu neighborhood. No, there's nobody else that is around. And then the next picture just kind of gives you a little more of a normal shot of this place. It, it's beautiful, but I want to keep this picture up because as you look at this, one of the things that you'll notice is what this camp is made from, and it's made from wood. So when you arrive at Malibu, one of the first things that they do in an orientation is, and I love this because they're just so matter-of-fact about it, they say, hey, because it's volunteers that come up to help work. We come up to work on the camp, fix things, clean things, do whatever it is that needs to be done. They say to you, hey, for those of you who smoke, we want you to understand that there are two designated locations for you to smoke. Please, please, please smoke only in those locations. Why? Because if you haven't noticed, about 80 to 90% of the building materials used to build this place is wood. And fire and wood here is a bad combination because we don't have 911 to call. There's no firefighters that are going to come to the rescue. We are on our own because we are out in the middle of nowhere. And that really sobers you up real quick. It helps you understand that wood, wood is a thing. Hay, straw, yeah, if you want to warm up, that's good, but it's not going to last. Gold is something that lasts. Gold is something that has stability. It has longevity. It has what you need to stand on. But now I'm looking at my nose trying to figure out where I am. There I am. Okay, there we go. Now, the most important thing that I think that gold signifies is honor. It's honor. See, gold is regularly presented as gifts to kings and queens. In the giving of gold, the giver is saying, I honor the title and the one who holds it. An example of this can be found in the Old Testament. I think this is a really good one. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 10 if you want to start turning there. Um, you have this, this moment that occurs during the time of Solomon. Now, Solomon is one of the greatest kings, not just in the history of Israel, but in the history of mankind. He has accumulated all of this wealth, and word begins to get around. And he is now visited by the queen of Sheba. 
And she comes because of the fame, and you would think it would be because of the fame of what it is that he possesses. But she comes because of the fame associated with the name of the Lord and the fact that Solomon walked with the Lord. So she comes and Solomon welcomes her, but she comes to test him. She comes with questions. And he let her ask any and all the questions she wanted to, and there wasn't a single thing that Solomon wasn't able to answer. Now, the queen of Sheba, she was in awe of this, but she was also in awe as she observed his kingdom, as she observed his wealth, his possessions, how his servants carried themselves, and the way in which he followed the Lord. And it says, she was kind of blown away, but this is something I love because I think this might be the first place we get this particular reference. In verse 5, of First Kings 10, it says, there was no more breath in her. I think the word we would use today is breathless. It took her breath away. But look at what she says and then she does, starting in verse 9. Her words are, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set on you the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great, great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. And for those of us who happen to not come from positions of earthly royalty and nobility, even we understand what gold says uh, when it's given to us. Because let's be honest, is there anybody here who would be excited about receiving a 100% aluminum watch for Christmas? Now listen here, if aluminum's your thing, all right, I want to be respectful. Some of you might be here and you go like, hey, 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 don't be dogging out aluminum. All right, that's fair. That's fair. But can we be honest? That's not gold. It's not gold. Gold is something that represents something very different when it's given to us. So, I believe that the gifts that the wise men chose were very intentional and personal, especially the gold. So, I have a question today for you. If you were one of the wise men, what would you bring to your king? Now, notice I said your king because this baby that the wise men came to see, that wasn't their king. It wasn't. They said, we came to see the king of the Jews, and they're not Jewish. But if we understand that Jesus is our king, what would you bring him? What would you bring him? See, his kingship in your life would mean that you hold him in high esteem. You would understand that his commands are not only for you to observe, but to actually obey. And you would defer your judgment to his. And if this is all true, and you happen to be fresh out of gold, I know, check your pockets. You're thinking about your secret hiding places back home. No gold. So if you got no gold, what would you bring? See, I believe 
that these guidelines that we're about to look at would be an action for what it is that we would bring. The first thing is that I think would guide us on what we would give to our king is that it would be something of great worth. Something of great worth. Now you would ask, Damien, like, like what? I mean, I'm not you, I don't know. But let's go ahead and do this for instance. What would happen if somebody came to you and said, you're going to be leaving your home and you're going to go someplace new. You've never been. And you're going to be living there. And you're never coming back to this place that you consider to be home. And you've got 15 minutes to get your belongings together. 15 minutes, that's it. When 15 minutes are up, you got to go. Something tells me that right now your brain is pinging hard on what would you grab? What would you consider to be? Because I think these would be the two categories. One would be what is necessary for you to live? You, you, you might have some medications that got to come with you. It, it, not bringing them is not an option. But then the other thing would be what is of great worth? Would you grab pictures? Would you grab gift cards that you've been collecting? What would you grab? What would you consider to be something of great worth to you? Mm. I'm processing that one still myself. Well, we do know that for the wise men, gold was something that was of great worth to them. And that's why they gave it. The second thing that I think that we would consider of what we would give to our king is that it would be something of universally understood value. Something of universally understood value. Meaning, you and I look at the same thing and we both say, wow, okay. That's a universally understood thing. See, a few weeks ago, I got to go to the Seattle car show. And I'm walking around there because we want, we want to look at the new electric, you know, vehicles. We want to see what they got, what they do, how far they go, blah, blah, blah. But at these car shows, they always have a section of cars that are what you would call kind of nice. So I want to show you the picture of this one car. This is a 2023 Bentley, I got to make sure I say this right, Bentega, okay? Now, you look at that and you go, all right, it's a, it's a Bentley, so what? Well, see, that so what would cost you somewhere between $223,000 and $270,000 to buy it. Now, you have to understand, in that moment, you can't see them, but there's, it's roped off, okay? See, this isn't the kind of car you get to go sit in and push the buttons and roll the seats back and forth, and somebody gets in the back seat, and you go, hey, how's it back there? It's pretty good. No, no, you get to look at it. So me and the group of guys that I'm happy to be standing with, and we all got our cameras out, and we're all doing the same thing. And the universally understood value was described with one word. Whoa. Whoa. So guys, um, there's this video clip that I want to share with you. This was a moment in a movie that really stuck with me. And it's kind of one of those where I, I hope it displays something for you about what universally understood value means. The movie's called Dune. If you're not into sci-fi, you're not going to have any idea what this is about. Don't worry, you're not missing anything. But for those of us who dig sci-fi, you're going to get what it is I'm talking about. 
All right. So there's this planet called Arrakis. It's a desert planet, meaning the entire surface is all desert. They have this thing there, though, in this desert planet. It's called spice. And this spice would be like the equivalent of gold, but even bigger. And so the mining of the spice is a big deal. Some really bad people are on Arrakis mining the gold, and they're doing a lot of bad things. So the emperor kicks them out, and he brings in what would be considered good people to come in and mine the spice. Okay? Now, the challenge is, is that there's an indigenous people there. They're called the Fremen. And indigenous people really don't want anybody there, but they don't have the ability to stop anybody from coming. So now with the new good people that are coming, this moment happens where the leader, one of the key leaders of the Fremen and the leader of the good guys meet each other for the very first time. And I want you to observe what happens when it comes to universally understood values. Check this out. Stop there. Hey! Hey! Hey. Stilgar. Welcome. Sir, I respect the personal dignity of any man that respects mine. Hold. <clears throat> Thank you, Stilgar, for the gift of your body's moisture. We accept it in the spirit in which it was given. I'm glad you've come. I believe your people and mine have much to offer one another. You are outworlders. You come here for this place. You take it, giving nothing in return. That's true. I know you've suffered at the hands of the Harkonnen. Name what you want. If it's in my power to grant, I'll give it and ask for nothing. Mm -hmm. I ask for this. Do not seek our sieges. Do not trespass in our lands. The desert was ours long before you came. So come and dig your spice. But when you have it, go back to this side of the shield wall and leave the desert to the Fremen. You will address the Duke as my lord or sire. Gurney, just, just a moment. The Emperor has given me Arrakis as my fief to rule and protect. I cannot promise not to travel into the desert if duty compels me. But your sieges will be yours forever. And you will never be hunted while I govern here. That's very honorable. I must go. That's all I have to say to you. Won't you stay? We would honor you. Honor requires that I be elsewhere. So, for the Duke, he says, listen, I, help me get the spice that I need and I'll give you anything you want. Now, Stilgar, the leader of the Furman, says, look, come and get your spice, but stay out of the desert and leave my people alone. See, for the Duke, his value in that moment was the spice, but for Stilgar, his value was his people. But did you notice the other misunderstanding when it came to value? See, when Stilgar spat in front of him, 
that could have been very easily seen as a sign of disrespect. Fortunately, one of the Duke's men said, whoa, hold on. And he gave just a little quick explanation as he engaged Stilgar and said, thank you for the gift of your moisture. We receive it with honor in the manner in which it was given or something like that. And then he spits and then the Duke spits. And why was that a thing for Stilgar? Because they're desert people. They live in the desert. So moisture is literally life for them. They can't survive without it. See, if you're going to present something to someone, especially if it's going to be your king, there's got to be a universally understood value that's in place. You've got to understand the value of what's being given, and the king needs to understand the value of what's being given to them. Otherwise, you just, there's just all this misunderstanding that could happen. So that value is so, so important. And finally, I believe that it would be guided by something that was sacrificially given. Sacrificially given. Not practically given. Because we're real good at that but sacrificially given. See, here at North Shore, we're guided by uh, a set of path statements that help us pursue the vision that God has given us. And one of those statements is radically loving one another. Radically loving one another. Not reasonably loving one another, but radically. So church, I'll ask you, can you be practical and radical at the same time? I've never heard of a practical radical. Never heard of it. If you've got the title of radical, you're doing something that most of us would say, you're out of control. No, that's too much. So I'll even go a step further. Can you be practical and sacrificial at the same time? Because see, sacrifice means you've given up something and you feel it. See, if you've given something and, some, and, and it was nice what you did, not bad. Now, I want you to understand, I'm, this isn't reducing when it is that we give. But if there was no... Uh, if there was no ouch, was there really a sacrifice? I think maybe the word that we would use today is affordable. See, if something that's affordable, we associate with being reasonable and that shows wisdom and so forth. But then when we look at our Jesus, what was affordable for him to give? His answer to us would be everything. Our king actually met us first. He made the first move. He didn't sit on his throne and wait for us to figure out whether or not he was even our king. And he came and gave everything. So church, I'm going to invite you 
to stand. And we want to talk about our next steps. Next steps is something that for our teaching team, we, we process our ways through this because what we don't want to do is we don't want to just give a sermon that we hope is nice. Or maybe there might be something you might remember, but we want to give you a next thing to do in response to what God may be showing you or speaking to you about today. And my next, the next steps that I want to just share with you today sits in this place, not of who Jesus is as king, but what is it that you have to give to him? But let me be more specific. What is your gold or the equivalent to your gold that you have to give him? Pat your pockets all you want, I know. It's no, you got no, you don't have gold, but what do you have that you hold in great worth that you look at as being a universally understood value? That's something that would be of sacrifice for you to give to him, you. And the really challenging thing about this space is that you can't have a conversation with the person next to you about what you have to give. Because this is a conversation between you and Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he already knows what that thing is. And instead of being in a place of forcing or commanding you to give it, he waits. He waits because he loves us so much. So church, as you examine this, and we're going to pray. I want you to consider the words of the song that we're going to finish out with today. And I want to ask you this question. Could this be your gold to give your king? Would you pray with me?